Hey everybody, welcome back to The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy and I'm here with Brett Beetzler and today we are doing a rebroadcast of one of our shows. It's backed by popular demand. So here it is, the show on Before You Purchase Your Next Vehicle. Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beachler at Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beachler on PeoriaLife.com. Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome to another edition of the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy, and I'm here with our host, Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing fantastic. And yourself? Doing great. Today, our topic is buying and selling cars. Uh, and some people might wonder why uh, somebody who runs a car repair place would talk about buying cars or selling cars, but actually mm-hmm. there's a lot of connection there. There's quite a bit of connection. So I guess my first question is, uh, somebody's starting to think about changing cars. We say buy a new car. We don't necessarily mean buy a new new car, but a new mm-hmm. car to them. What are some, in your opinion, some reasons that someone might sell a car and buy a new one? Uh, good reasons and bad reasons. Well, the, some of the bad reasons I see are just emotional um, disconnect from the vehicle. Uh, the other reasons that I see are people have repairs that they've neglected and piled up on the car instead of maintaining them throughout the years uh, they kind of let them pile up and they essentially turn around and say look i've got fifteen hundred fifteen hundred dollars worth of repairs i'm just going to sell the car and start over and go get a different car um, essentially that costs people money in the long run because of the the turnover aspect of the vehicle and not addressing issues that are coming up on the on the vehicle that they currently own so I always encourage people, we always encourage people that when going through this, when maintaining cars and repairing cars, always keep up on the maintenance because it's what I call an energy drag on the on the brain is if you have a, a huge weight that gets piled up over here, a $1,500 repair and maintenance expense, um, it basically what it does is it loads your brain and it makes you want to go, ah, just I'm going to scrap it and I'm going to go out and buy a $20,000 vehicle, which in the end... Again, I, I, I always pound this and I always explain this to customers, educate customers. It's, it boils down to cost per mile as operating expenses on a vehicle. So the good aspects of buying a car, we've been through this quite often with customers where uh, we maintain their vehicles for you know thousands of miles and there comes a point where either A, the frame of the vehicle is rusted to a condition that it's really not worth putting an investment of maintenance and repairs into the vehicle. And we'll, we've plenty of times have, you know, educated customers pull the plug time to look for a different car. Uh, it happens. I mean, their vehicles in the Midwest, they, they rust certain things happen on vehicles. Um, you know, under the, under the belly of the vehicle, you have uh, quite a few fuel lines and brake lines. And sometimes those can get into the hundreds of dollars of repairing those. And if you get a combination of fuel line, brake lines rusting, and along with the frame rusting, um, then it's time to start scrapping a vehicle because you might take a $3,000 vehicle and do a you know, $2,500 repair on it, and you're better off putting that money toward 
a different vehicle rather than a repair. So it it happens. Uh, we don't we don't try to get people to keep their cars until they're falling apart inside their garage. So you you are in a position to be a kind of a counselor, right? So somebody yeah. somebody has some major repair with their car. Mm-hmm. Transmission goes out, engine blows, whatever. You can kind of look at it and say it's going to cost you this much, and maybe it's worth because if somebody hears the bad news that it's going to cost them two thousand mm-hmm. dollars to repair their car, emotionally might they might say, "Well, heck with it, I'll just go and buy a new car." Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a good idea. Well, one of the words that uh, comes into play with us is amortization. And Greg, you in the real estate industry for many many years understand amortization schedules and how they work out. Mm-hmm. And I always try to encourage folks, okay, what are you, one of the key questions we ask people is what, what are your plans with the vehicle? Do you want to keep it as long as you can? You know, do you want to, do you want to maximize the value, the life of this vehicle? So we get to a point where, you know, we, we've had, unusually, the last couple of weeks, we've had three engine failures that have come in. And one of them caused by a different location, one of them caused by not, um, you know, reading their oil level on a consistent basis. Their oil got too low and it basically, and so then, that does happen. It does happen. <laughs> and it was a newer vehicle, which was kind of sad to see. But, um, you know, it, th- that kind of stuff, you know, they, they, I had one customer looking at a, you know, $4,500 engine and it was a newer vehicle. And I essentially said to him, you know, he said, Ooh, that's a big pill to swallow. And I said, well, what are your options? Well, I can go out and buy a $25,000 car. I said, okay, that's, that's a valid option. No doubt about it. But I said, what are your plans with the vehicle? The body's in good shape. The frame's in good shape. You take care of the interior of the car. You know, there's no reason why if you put a 10,000-mile engine in this car, this thing won't last you another 10 years. So I said, you take the $4,500 and you amortize it, say, over four years' time. You know, you're looking at less than $100 a month to be able to pay for this. Now, you go out and sign yourself up for a $25,000 car, getting about the same performance out of this, and you're looking at three, four, five dollars $500 a month. And you're right. It really boils down to, I think any good shop could, should come alongside their customer and say, okay, I'm your partner. I'm not your enemy. How are we going to work together to maximize the life of this piece of equipment that is fairly important in your life? So that's, that's our whole philosophy. You know, many people like it. Many people respect it. You know, some don't. Typically those are the folks that are, you know, making emotional decisions and we've all made those emotional decisions. Um, but you have to be really careful with a big money asset like this is don't let it chew up your budgetary expenses to where you're spending a lot of money on cars every month. And I mean that by saying car payments. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of your uh, points of emphasis, which is very good, is that buying and owning a car is a really big financial consideration. Mm-hmm. And so when someone wants to make that decision to move on to a new car, or another car, uh, they should seriously consider the financial aspects. Not that they shouldn't do it ever. Absolutely. But just that they should be fully aware of what that is. For example, there might be some good reasons to, uh, to buy a different car. For example, changes in circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a family that now just had a third baby. Mm-hmm. They got, they got to put three car seats mm-hmm. in their car and a little teeny, uh, two-person car just doesn't do it, so they got to update to a minivan, a dreaded minivan. Well, you even see that with people that have sedans, and you know they may seat five people in the car. Yes, in theory, but there are many times where I see husbands have to swallow that pill of buying a minivan, which to me it's a, it's a vehicle that serves its purpose. Um, I myself personally like minivans because I think they're very versatile. You can take 
seats out and haul four by eight sheets of plywood and if you need to, or they're, they're very industrious vehicles, if you ask me. Um, if men like myself can check their male eco at the door, I think they're, they're, they're pretty good vehicles. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of circumstances. You know, I've seen people get into the real estate business where they don't want to drive around their little four door, you know, you know, compact size car. It's not really conducive to their environment. I mean, it happens and you know, society moves and, and society has perceptions, but at the same time, don't enslave yourself to, you know, having to go out and impress the Joneses and keep up with the Joneses and, and go out and buy an $80,000 vehicle because it's going to chew away a huge chunk of your your expenses every year. Just getting back to that idea that it's a fa- major financial aspect of your life, and if you're trying to get ahead financially, you need to factor that into all of your decisions. Not that that should be the only mm-hmm. consideration, but mm-hmm. it should be a major consideration. Mm-hmm. I, I always go back to the, you know, I, I, I said it a few minutes ago, the cost per mile, but the the round number that it takes to operate a car, and that's this is what everybody needs to look at, is you need to look at how many miles you drive a year. And if it's 15 or 12 or 10,000 miles a year and multiply that by about 50 cents a mile, that's how much you need to set your budget for operating that vehicle. Now, if you're a person that can, that wants to keep the car as long as you possibly can, that 50 cents can go down to say 40 to 38 cents. Um, because the depreciation factor is a huge part of that expense. So uh, it, it really boils down to philosophies and, and how you're going to better equip your financial plan in life. And yes, cars are fun. It's like I tell my daughter, I said, you know, we still have one child left in school. The others are out of school. I drive a 200 mile an hour car in a split second, but I know it takes three grand to put tires on. I know it, it takes the, the operating expenses for these cars are enormous, uh, on these sports cars and you don't drive them like grandma going to church on Sundays. It's typically when you get inside one of these cars. I love fast cars like the every other guy, but I also know the wallet aspect of driving those fast cars and, and what it takes to, to, to equip them from a financial standpoint. So anyway, I, I think a little different than, than other people. I don't think it doesn't mean I think better. It doesn't mean I think worse. I just see the money numbers come through when people get emotionally tied to vehicles and how it costs people a lot of money. So. Another aspect of that I think, and we've talked about this before, but owning a car is something that's going to go on for your whole life, mm-hmm. your transportation needs. Mm-hmm. Many times people, they go out and buy a car, they have to finance it, so they have mm-hmm. a car payment for three, four, five, six years, whatever it is. They own the car long enough to get it paid for, mm-hmm. and after you get it paid for, they think, now it's free. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> it's not free. No. And it, it, if you can just get yourself into the frame of mind that it's a long-term thing, and we've talked about uh, last week, I think it was, we talked about when you get to that point, you paid off your car, you've been making $400 a month pay, car payments. Mm-hmm. Don't just stop making those payments. Flip it. Flip it. Mm-hmm. Now, now instead of paying the bank, you pay yourself. Pay yourself. You put that $400 in the bank someplace in a separate account or wherever so you can keep track of it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? After four, five, six years, if you own the car that long, you've got enough money to buy another car. Mm-hmm. The, the the catch with nowadays is it is such an accepted practice in our society to go out and sign up for car payments and you know i had a tech tell me one time he said brett you have to remember that and he's a pretty wise technician i have on staff he said you have to remember there's a there's a certain part of our society that believes they're going to have car payments the rest of their lives that's just the way they think um they don't think anything any differently 
But I had a, a couple of ladies in, I was probably two, three years back and their car had failed and, and they need to put a lot of money into it. And I said, look, it's, it's time to retire the vehicle. Rust was setting in, rust in the frame. So they, they went out and car shopped and they came back and, you know, said, Hey, Brett, I've got this, we've got this vehicle we want to buy as a mother and daughter. Um, we got this vehicle we want to buy. And I said, all right, let's, let's sit down and let's do the numbers. And she said, well, it's only $15,000. And I said, well, what are your payments? She told me the payments are. We calculated out. There were $7,000 in interest payments. They were going to essentially pay $22,000 for a $15,000 vehicle. So I, I, I tried to help them out. It, it was one of those deals where I just, it, I couldn't see that happen because they really didn't have the means to make it happen. So we ended up having a loaner vehicle that we were going to get rid of and move into the open market and, it was much less expensive. They were able to pay cash for it, but they would have been enslaved to whatever it was, $300 payments for seven years. And literally they were not looking at the financial aspect of $7,000 of interest payments and how many hours they had to work cleaning houses. That's what they did for a living to pay for that $7,000. So it is our, it is our duty, whether it be as a, a fellow human being or an automotive shop to, help people understand those financial aspects of cars. I, I just think it's important and it's near and dear to my, my heart. Um, you know, I, I told you, Greg, or explained to you a couple of weeks ago, I went and spoke to my, my daughter's middle school. Um, all the kids there, 250 kids. And, and I talked a lot about the financial aspects of vehicles and I, I think it hit home with quite a few of them. And I'm sure there were quite a few of them that it went over their head and, and, and didn't resonate. They'll see someday, but I planted a seed. So. All right. Well, with that as a background, let's talk about buying a car. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about new versus used cars? Everybody loves a new car, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It smells new. Nobody else has driven it. Mm-hmm. It's cool. <clears throat> what are your thoughts? So my thoughts on a new car, um, you know, I go, I go back to the equation of percentage of income. Uh, percentage of income is pretty important, you know, and it's kind of like a house payment. You, you're, I think your magic formula is 25% of your income should you should not exceed on a house payment. I think of cars the same way. You shouldn't exceed 25 to 30% of your income on the, the value of the vehicle. So if you, you know, if you make $100,000 a year, you shouldn't be buying a car that's $80,000. That's just my personal opinion, uh, based on the information that I've read. So with that said, new cars, new car buyers serve a purpose in my book. They are like the offensive line of a football team. They take the hit. Okay. They protect the quarterback. They protect and make holes for the running back. Um, I think people to buy new cars, there's, there's an absolute need out there in society for people to buy new cars. I'm absolutely not saying don't buy a new car. But if you're looking out for your wallet long term, the best way to go about it is to be on the lookout for new use type vehicles. A couple of years old, 20,000 miles on them, 30,000 miles on them. Um, because somebody else has taken that hit. I, I think I mentioned the number a couple weeks ago. The average new vehicle loses 60% of its value in the first four years. So work those numbers and think about them for just a minute. So with that said, most people should be buying used cars. Most people in our society should be buying used cars. And I, I say that not to discourage people from buying new cars. Like I said, there's a, there's a time and a place for people buying new cars, but, and it's hard to resist that new car smell. It's hard to resist that the old adage of, Oh, well, you're not buying somebody else's problems. 
cars are made so well anymore. There aren't too many other people's problems anymore. But with that said, um, we are big advocates of having cars pre-purchase inspections performed on vehicles. Um, I, I say this because out of the hundreds that we have done at our business and a lot of good shops do pre-purchase inspections, we have found literally thousands of dollars worth of fines on vehicles that you and I would have never found kicking the tires on a vehicle. So a good shop is out there doing a road test on a vehicle. And we say road test and we go, okay, what's the purpose of a road test? Well, the purpose of a road test is you get an ASE technician or a qualified technician inside of a vehicle, turns the radio off and listens for any abnormalities in the vehicle. I promise you I could take a car down the road and go, okay, that's got some problem with a wheel bearing. There's something going on with the, you know, the, the right rear, um, control arm or there's something going on with one of the sway bar bushings something's happening and something's going wrong the average person might get inside of a car you know it's like one of my my technicians said hey you got a noise in your vehicle yeah we'll turn the radio up and it's really it's a joke it's a total joke but the average person may turn the radio up and not hear a noise that is going to cost them money you know i've I've heard people with rate they play radios loud and they can't hear the brakes grinding metal to metal I don't understand it, but so, it's that not, solved that problem. Just turn the radio. Solved that problem. Just turn the radio up. So the the point. Let me get back to my point of doing a good quality inspection on a vehicle. You know, we charge ninety nine bucks, um, and at first people, oh, geez, ninety nine bucks—that's a lot of money. But I can't tell you how many people I've had walk out of our business after they do that ninety nine dollar inspection with smiles in their face, going, "Thank you," because I never would have known this X amount of dollars over here existed that needed to be addressed on the vehicle without coming to you guys to know what to do on the car. So kicking the tires is cool. Road testing the car is good for a, a consumer. But if you're not in these vehicles every day and understanding what can go wrong, what noises cause, you know, getting the wheels off, you know, checking the variance on the tie rod ends, which is part of the steering system, checking the variance on the control arms and the control arm bushings, which is part of the suspension system, um, you, you're not going to see the things that you want to see on a car, period. It's not going to happen. You used an expression in that last uh, series of phrases, kicking the tires. Mm-hmm. You know, that kicking the tires, looking under the hood, that's the standard expression about mm-hmm. checking out a car. What does kicking the tires do? I, you know, I've never really figured <laughs> where, that where, out. Where did that come from? I, I think it's kind of a man-male ego thing where, you know, you, you walk around the car kicking the tires and making sure that tire pressures are okay or some. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that expression in our business. I'm like, what does that mean, kicking the tires? <laughs> what does that actually do? I'm sure it came from something. I don't know the history of it. Maybe I'll have to figure that out, but I, I don't know what it means. That, that's your homework for next week. Yeah. Um, and also, checking under the hood. The average person these days, mm-hmm. when you check under the hood, there is so much stuff under there that is so complex. What is the average person going to know? I, I would not know. I mean, you can see if there's uh, – here's the battery, and uh, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes you can't even see the battery. Yeah, yeah many times you're, you're not able to see the battery. The average person – um, should know how, and I'm not uh, belittling people, they should know how to check the oil in vehicles. Um, you know, you want to check the oil for level and um, cleanliness. And believe it or not, dirty oil is not necessarily a bad thing. That means oil is doing its job and removing the particulates and adhering, and then that's when you change your oils when it becomes dirty. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be clean as a whistle. Um, but otherwise, there's really 
not much the average person can look at. A lot of these engines, if you look at them, have covers to make them look pretty, which I think is kind of cool myself. Uh, but they hide a lot of things underneath the car, a lot of ugly things that people don't necessarily want to look at like they did in the olden days. Um, so you're not necessarily going to be able to see the serpentine belt, for example. That's the belt that goes around the air conditioning, the power steering, the water pump, um, you know, the air pump, the crankcase. There, you're looking for cracks per inch. You're looking for some type of wear on that belt. Um, the average person's not going to be able to determine whether or not a belt is good. Um, you know, looking at coolant condition, the antifreeze, the average person's not going to be able to tell. Even, even I can't get in a car sometimes and tell if antifreeze is acceptable or not. Um, that's when you go back to the owner's manual. You look at the, the maintenance records compared to what the owner's manual wants you to do. And that's when it really comes in to, to determine, you know, if a car is viable or not, or it needs other work. So. Okay. So a person has made the decision to look for a used car. And one of the tools that's out there, I think, is something called Carfax. What yes. is Carfax, and how does a person use that? Yeah, that's a great question. So Carfax is a company that essentially taps into databases of automotive repair centers. Such as? Such features? as ours. Um, you have to give them permission to tap into your database to find records that have been, you know, services that have been performed on customers' vehicles. The catch is, a little loophole with Carfax is, if a customer has not had their car service, or has had their car service at a place that doesn't allow Carfax into their, their database, you're not going to know what services were performed on that car. This modern day and age, most shops are allowing Carfax to tap into their database to find things that have been done to vehicles. So in that sense, for generally speaking, it's it's a good thing to have a Carfax report done on a vehicle because you're going to know, generally speaking, what has been done to a vehicle and what has not been done to a vehicle. Does that include routine maintenance, like oil changes and so forth? It, it does. It includes routine maintenance, oil changes, um, factory maintenance, you know, tires. It also includes any recalls that have been performed on vehicles. And by the way, recalls used to be like a shunned thing in the industry. But it's a very common thing that occurs on most vehicles because there are so many bells and whistles on cars that it's not uncommon for most vehicle owners to get a recall notice in the mail to say, hey, we need to address this. The only thing you need to watch out for on recalls is that's kind of their way of getting the car in the door. So you can potentially find other things on the vehicle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or not find legitimate things. So how does a person go about getting a Carfax report? Uh, you, you simply, you simply sign online and you have to pay for it, of course, because they're a business that does a hard and uh, dirty work to extract that information. Um, but you pay them a, an amount. I don't know what the exact amount is. It's been a couple of years since I've looked at it myself. Um, but it's not overly expensive. I, I believe it's worth the investment to be able to save you the time of calling all the places that this particular consumer that you may be buying a car from calling all the places and writing these things down and finding out what's, to me, my time's worth more than that. Um, but I, I don't think it's expensive. I think it's under $100 to do something like that. And, you know, if you're, bottom line, if you're out there buying a five or a ten or $15,000 vehicle, you know, 100 bucks for an inspection and 70 bucks for, an, you know, a Carfax report is not that big of a deal mm-hmm. relative to the price of the vehicle. What about buying a used car from a dealer versus going private? What do you think? Uh, there, there are risks in both aspects. I think there's a, there's a comfort that goes with buying it from a dealership. Um, a little peace of mind that goes with it. You're going to spend a little bit more, 
I have, I have friends in the used car industry, and um, for the most part, they're very legitimate used car operators. And they're out there looking for good product to sell to their customers because they'd love to see them back in five or ten years buying another vehicle. So um, there is definitely a peace of mind that goes with it. You will spend a little bit more money. Um, now, with the private, I've sold many cars privately myself. Um, it generally is a little bit less expensive. If you were to go to Kelly Blue Book, you look at there's private value and there's you know there's value of the dealerships that sell it. Because the bottom line is they've they've created a brand. They've created a brand that gives people peace of mind to come to their business, and they should be able to obtain a little bit more money for that vehicle. It's just common sense um, to be able to give people that peace of mind. So I'm not opposed to private, but you have to be you have to be keenly aware of what goes on out there because I can't tell you how many times I've had I've seen people in our in our business come in the door and they have you know six or seven problems with the car and they say oh, I'm just going to sell it, and three or four of the problems you can't detect with a naked eye. Um, and I go, oh boy, I, I hope they disclose that information to the next buyer because it's going to cost that next buyer some money. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the used car industry in terms of buying it from a dealership or a used car vendor, um, but the probability is less because those guys are in business and they want to see you back. Hmm. So, what about Craigslist? There are lots of people that buy cars in Craigslist. I've heard <laughs> lots of scare stories about <laughs> buying stuff on Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. I'm, I'm. Somewhat of a fan of. I've most of my cars that I've sold. I've had customers, older customers that I've helped out because they don't understand Craigslist. But I always took the vehicle to a neutral location. Never once that I've ever brought anybody over to my house um, to look at a car because I know the potential there. I always communicated via email. Um, I never gave them my phone number right off the bat. If somebody was serious, I could tell if they were serious about buying the car. So Craigslist serves its purpose, but you have to be diligent and careful about Craigslist. And, you know, some people don't want to deal with that, that, uh, that risk aspect of selling a car through Craigslist. I, I think it's viable. I mean, it's a no charge deal. You know, the next step is to go something like tradingpost.com. Um, I think that weeds out some higher potential candidates that, you know, may not be, may not be your kind of customer that walks in the door that wants to buy your vehicle. So it's it's a legitimate place, but it, it also, with the free aspect of it, it can also um, gather up some unique characters. There is some danger there. Yes. Another, another problem I see with that is uh, you talked about the value of having your car inspected. So if I wanted to bring a car to you mm-hmm. that I was thinking about buying, that would be a good thing. But if the car is up in Chicago mm-hmm. that I've contacted somebody through Craigslist, that's a little difficult. It is difficult, but I, I have had... I've had people buy cars from California in Peoria. I've had people buy cars from up north and down south, and they found us through uh, AAA.com. And uh, they will arrange the guy who is the person who is selling the vehicle to deliver it to our shop. We'll do a, an independent inspection on it, and then email the guy the report and any pictures of you know things that are of concern. So is it possible? Absolutely. It happens. Um, that's just the name of the game. People, people are buying cars from afar all the time. I mean, look at eBay and how it works. Uh, we've had people contact us through eBay also to have cars inspected. So it's, it's a great tool. Um, you know, it's a, it's a way for those people who are buying those cars from a distant location to have somebody else's independent eyes on the vehicle, uh, to be able to assess it. So 
Well, it speak, happens. Speaking of used car inspections, we talked about the value of a buyer, a potential buyer, bringing a car in to have it inspected. What about somebody who's thinking about selling a car? Mm-hmm. Do you think they should have it inspected? Is there a value there? I believe there's value um, because it allows the seller to have that peace of mind that when they put their car on the open market, they know the the subtleties, the the potential problems with their vehicle, and they can be f- basically fully disclose what may be causing the problem with the vehicle or what may be underlying problems with the vehicle. So um, I think it adds value to what they're selling, much like in the housing industry. Um, does every person do it when they sell cars? Absolutely not. I, I, we've, you know, for every 10 people that sell cars, I'm just throwing an anecdotal number out there, you might see one person that does their own uh, pre-purchase uh, selling inspection, and so they can present the report to other people. And those are, generally speaking, they're very astute people uh, that just want to do the right thing when they sell a car and they want peace of mind to know that I want to be able to sell this car to somebody I know, and I go, hey, I know exactly the goods and the bads of this car. Um, because I, I, I get that way when I sell my own cars. I Obviously, with my name, and I sell a car that's got problems that, it's not going to be a good thing for me long term, so I would gladly pay something like that. So you're talking about ethics? Yes. In the used car business? Yes. Wow. They're out there. They're out <laughs> there. You just it just takes a little finding, but they're they're definitely out there. <laughs> okay. Well, it's happened again. We've uh, spent a half hour talking about cars and car repair and car purchase and so forth with Brett Beachler from Beachler Car Repair and Care Business. And I appreciate your joining us today on the Car Guy with Peoria dot PeoriaLife.com, and I uh, look forward to hearing or seeing you next. Boy, that... Okay, all right, it's happened again. We've spent 30 minutes talking about cars and car repair and car purchase with Brett Beachler. Thanks again, Brett. You're very welcome. My pleasure. This has been the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. Look forward to seeing you next week. PeoriaLife.com.